I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, car dealers, for the most part, do a good, decent job. It's a hard business. But there's some really ugly stuff going on I need to alert you to, which I'll do in today's Clark Rageous moment. And later yet, extended warranties. There's a lot of debate that comes up on our show about extended warranties, extended service contracts. I want to hit you with some of the math that will help explain why I hate you buying extended service contracts or extended warranties so much. So California set off a big fuss by passing a law requiring various gig companies, you know, jobs you get from an app, like most people think of Uber and Lyft, but there are a zillion of these, to classify most people on them as employees instead of independents. Well, now new survey data from Gallup finds that California may have made a mistake. And the idea of not allowing people to work at these side jobs, what a lot of times I'll see in articles referred to as side hustles. I don't know how that became an expression, but delivering for shift or driving somebody or doing DoorDash or any of the many things, working for Handy, whatever it is. So Gallup surveyed what's really up. And what they found is that over 90% of people who file a tax return have W-2 income. Now, at the same time, there's a huge number of people doing some kind of side thing. Best guess, based on Gallup survey, one in four of us have a regular job and we're doing something on the side. Why are people doing it? For any of a number of reasons. In fact, half of people say they're doing it because they need more money than they make at their regular job. So they pick up uh, you know, a shift driving for Uber or whatever. But the funny thing is half of people are doing it just because they want to, not specifically for the money. They think it's fun or interesting or whatever, doing whatever side thing they're doing. And we have by far the largest number of people who are filing returns with the IRS where they have some side income in addition to regular income. So this is a thing. Now, if regular employers decided this was a way to cheap out on us, and they said, uh, as of tomorrow, none of you are employees. You are now your own business people. Then that would be a whole different thing. And I know there are situations where big companies lay people off 
And then the next week they come back with the dreaded contractor badge working as an independent contractor, no benefits, no rights. And there's some of that stuff going on. But for the most part, we're doing these side things because we need the money or we want the money for whatever. Or we just enjoy it. And so there's a point at which the government needs to stay out of it. And I think this is one of those cases where California trying to do the right thing did the wrong thing. Andy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Andy. Hi, Clark. Uh, It's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, great to talk to you. And Andy, you're thinking of doing something I actually did once. What's that? Well, I'm uh, about five years from retirement. I'm an empty nester, and it's getting to be time to downsize. And after looking at available apartments and condos and homes for sale, haven't really found anything to my liking. And I happened to stumble onto a uh, what is the last vacant lot in a development of about 30 homes. I've heard you advise against building a home in a new development, but in this case, uh, not only for what I'm looking for, but also the size of the lot seems to be conducive to a home that would be on the smaller side of what else is in there. And so, well, that's uh, to your advantage. Like your, that's to your yeah, advantage because definitely you'd be, you never want to be the most expensive house in a neighborhood. Exactly. And, um, and in fact, uh, you know, timing for selling what I have looks to be good in terms of, uh, of the market. But uh, in addition to kind of your advice on whether or not it's a good idea, I'm also kind of confused or, or not enlightened on the process. How do I investigate things like zoning requirements? And is there an HOA in the neighborhood? And, uh, you know, even the process of selecting a builder, those sorts of things. So I will tell you that after I built a home acting as my general contractor, I was so far in over my head, and it was it was a very difficult process, and I will never, ever do it again. So if you're saying what you're thinking is you'll buy the lot, and then you'll hire a general contractor, and you'll pay him or her to build the home for you, yeah. then, then that's... That's an easier process than what I did. I had a builder, but I functioned as the general contractor and paid the builder a markup for his services. And I was just, I was not equipped to be in that. I mean, it all eventually worked out, but I'd say there was a big eventual to it. So. Check that off the list of uh, possible options. Then. So in your case, what is your knowledge of building and construction? Well, I, I wouldn't say I, I'm ignorant to it, but just have never gone through the full process myself. You know, I, I understand what goes into building a home and the fact that in addition to the general contractor, you have electricians and HVAC and plumbing and all of those sorts of people that need to be involved as well. All right. So what I recommend in a case like this is when you interview builders, it's best to start with builders who built in that neighborhood where you're thinking of living. They already know the particulars of building in that neighborhood. 
uh, they will know the rules. The okay. the seller of the lot will have to disclose to you if there is a mandatory or optional homeowners association. That will be a disclosure that will either automatically be given to you or will have to be provided to you if you ask for it. Okay. You want to see drive-by homes that that builder has built. And okay. it'd be a great idea for you to go introduce yourself to people in the neighborhood who have had a home built by one of the builders you're considering and ask them, how's the builder done building your house? Are you happy with it? Would you want that builder again? When you've had problems with it, have they come back? And those are the things you're looking for. But okay. if you're going to own the lot and then commission a builder to build the home for you, I recommend that you hire a home inspector to be kind of like um, the equivalent of what you'd have on a commercial job, which is called uh, a construction manager. And okay, you, that, you pay that person a lot more than you'd normally pay a home inspector. Sure. Because they'll do an inspection at framing. They'll, do an, they'll tell you at what phases. And you'll typically pay for four or five visits to the property sure. to be there as your advocate and representative. Because if this isn't something you have knowledge of, you want that person who does because, I mean, your your stakes are higher for you because you'd already own the land and you'd be responsible for everything that happened with that home. No, that, that sounds like an excellent idea and understandable that it would be more expensive, but uh, in the big scheme of things, that sounds well worth it. The one other thing is what are called lien releases or lien waivers. Yes. Are you familiar with that process? Yes. Okay. Yes. So... That needs to be part of it. You might want a, a construction attorney to make sure that the contract with the builder is drawn in a way where you're protected um, in how waivers are produced and signed through the phases of construction. Okay. Because you don't want to pay for the same work twice. No, absolutely not. And you know, being in a position where I'm not uh, uh, against any sort of a clock here, maybe this will start with a a very low ball offer for the lot and see where it proceeds from there. Because uh, it, from what I can tell, the other homes are at least five to 10 years old. I uh, want to make sure that there isn't anything concerning about this lot that's caused it to not be built on. But I suspect it is just because it's a bit smaller than the others. But my goodness, those homes have been there a good number of years. That makes it even better for you yep. to talk to people about how they feel about the quality of the construction of their home. That's really great. Is if somebody says, hey, this home's falling apart. Don't ever buy from this builder. You know, that tells you a lot of very valuable information. And I hope the process and the whole project works out better for you than it did for me. Carol's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Carol. Hi, Clark. Thanks so much for taking my call and for all that you do for just this common folk in the world. Well, you're kind to say that. And Carol, you are having a problem that is very common with all of us, and that is a shock or surprise medical bill that's shown up. What's the circumstances of yours? Well, I am entitled to a mammogram, routine mammogram as part of my health care. And I thought that I did all of my due diligence by making sure that my primary care physician 
and the facility that I go to specifically to have my mammogram was in network and all that was fine and good and come to find out that they outsource the radiologist who reads the mammogram. So who's not in network. Correct. So I have filed, I'm on my second appeal to the insurance company. I've explained my situation to numerous people with, customer no service and I am just so frustrated and angry and what I want to do is draw a line in the sand and if the insurance doesn't pay it I I'm considering not paying it don't do that don't do that (laughs) that will that will not go well for you okay but instead you play a game of chicken somewhat with the radiology practice and you tell them that you had no idea that there was going to be a radiologist out of network. And this is why a number of states now have passed procedures to deal with, with the bill shock of somebody being out of network, even when you did all the work like you should have to make sure you were going to be A-OK in network, is do you know what you would have paid for the radiology read, radiological, however you say that word, for the radiologist to read the mammogram what you would have paid if it was in network? Well, it should have been covered in full as part of my routine mammogram. That's one of the benefits that is through healthcare that that's a, something okay. provided right. free of charge. And, and I have kind of played chicken with my radiology, the people that have the bill. And I've said, the people that have been calling me I don't think have the authority and I've asked to be taken to their manager. Oh, no, no. Stop talking with the administrative people. You want to deal with the doctors. Oh, okay. Because if you're just dealing with the billing people, they're usually contracted out. They are only there almost like bill collectors to collect money. Okay. So you need to find out who the office manager is of the practice itself. And you okay. contact him or her and say that you'd like to make a deal with the doctor. Okay, but I I can't draw a line in the sand and say not you're, if you pay if it. you say I'm not going to pay, it's going to go to collections. It's going to show up on your credit. It's going to be an ugly, empty victory. All right, Thank and so I would also bend the ideas. I would also find out now that you're motivated who your state legislator is. and call him or her and say this is happening to everybody every day with these these bill shocks it's probably happened to that legislator one of his or her family members also and say we need a law to deal with this in the state of wisconsin correct yeah so it's a one of those things of unfinished business that must be fixed in medicine because if you go through the process you went through to make sure you were in network there shouldn't be a UFO thing that comes back to eat you up like this. I need to give you a special warning in today's Clark Rageous moment. It's become harder and harder for car dealers to sell vehicles, and they're desperate. They got all those vehicles on their lot. So fraud on loan applications has become a big problem that could actually land you in jail. Uh, car dealers in their finance department are more and more tempted to put down false incomes for you that you then sign saying, yeah, that everything on this form is true. And there's a, 
uh, likelihood, according to the Wall Street Journal, that nearly one in four auto loan applications have false income numbers on them, inflated numbers, to get a loan approved. Remember, you're on the hook if later you can't pay and they say you lied. You don't want to get into that mess. If you're trying to make a deal work and they're working hard to make it happen, read the paperwork you're agreeing to, especially because it's become such a problem. Make sure you're not about to sign your name to a lie on income because you could end up as a defendant. You don't want that. I'm so glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can make good financial decisions in your life. I want you to learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, so where you go to save money each and every day. If you are a longtime listener of mine, you know that I despise extended warranties. I mean, people try to sell them on everything. I bought a pair of running shoes recently, and the person at the store was trying to sell me an extended warranty on my running shoes. Seriously. And you go buy any electronics or anything like that, the extended warranty pitch is a big part of it. Well, I've always told you the math is terrible on those. But I have some new math on one of the items where warranties are pushed harder than any other item that you or I might buy. Televisions. Okay, so this was a study done by researchers at Northwestern University and University of Pennsylvania. So one thing, people assume that things are going to break really often. And consumers will buy one, at least one in five consumers are going to say when the salesperson says, don't you want to protect your investment? By the way, a TV is not an investment. And one in five people say, yes, I do. Sign me up. The average cost of that coverage that they're going to push on you, one-fourth the cost of the item. One-fourth the cost. So guess what they found out? Over a six-year period, they tracked. These were serious researchers doing a six-year time window. They tracked 45,000 purchases of TVs. What percent failed? Almost exactly what Consumer Reports has found for a fail rate. Roughly 5 out of 100 would have a fail. 5 out of 100. So people are spending 25% more for something that has, over a multi-year period, a 5% fail rate. That is like as bad a math as you could ever have. And they're spending that huge additional amount on the TV. I mean, think about over a six-year period, a new TV will probably cost one-fourth of what that TV costs today. Look at how the prices drop. I mean, it's freaky how much the prices drop of electronics. And that's just a single example. 
that has been consistent over time, that electronics are far, far, far more reliable than we realize. Appliances, not as reliable. But it's funny about consumer behavior, not that I recommend buying an extended service contract or warranty on an appliance, but the failure rate on appliances is higher, the purchase of warranty is much lower. Because we're not excited about the washing machine. We're not excited about the dishwasher. But we are excited about the fancy electronics. But best keep your wallet shut for appliances as well. Because even though the failure rate is higher, the math is still compelling that you are much better off paying for a repair that you need or a replacement of something when it croaks than otherwise. Now, we just had to replace a washer. The washer lasted nine years. I think that's shorter than a washer should last. The weird thing is the new washer is so much better than the old. My wife is like, why didn't it break a long time ago? But it wasn't even that expensive to replace. So think about that. Before you treat anything that you buy as an investment, something that you buy that is consumption is not an investment. What's an investment? That's when you buy an investment. You know, put money away for retirement, put money in an investment account. That's an investment. Mike's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Great. Great to speak with you. Well, great to have you here. Mike, how can I be of service to you? Uh, well, I've got kind of a strange question. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, her, when she was in college, her parents purchased a home in the town that she was going to college. And it was about 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, now, she is the tertiary borrower on the loan. And uh, what? my understanding. Wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. She was one of three signers on the mortgage when she was in college 15 years ago? Yes, sir. I don't think anybody's ever told me that ever in 33 years on the air. Wow. And that mortgage is still outstanding? Yes, and from what I understand, it's, um, you know, may have little or no equity in the home. (gasps) How could it have no equity after 15 years? Uh, I'm assuming maybe they bought it right before the bubble. Uh, But even if they did, even if they did, I, I, I would find that surprising because 15 years, there'd be uh, a meaningful down payment of principal. And we had, after, um, after the bust, where values fell so much, in most of the country, they've round-tripped, and values are higher than they were before the bust on average around the country. So I think your girlfriend's got to go do some more digging and get on Zillow so she won't have to do a lot of work, but check values of homes near the childhood home that her parents bought or she bought with them because that okay. that doesn't add up to me. 
Okay. Yeah. My my concern is, um, you know, I've worked hard to get my finances in order. At some point, we are planning to get married. Um, I was just worried about, you know, how that may affect. Right. Uh, you know. So you future. you cannot commingle accounts or anything like that with her, even after you're married, till it's resolved with this house. Okay. So. Uh, one thing, 15 years ago, interest rates were much higher than they are now. So if the home has, as I would expect, has some equity in it all these years later, uh, it would be to her parents' advantage to refi if they if their credit's okay and get her out of the deal. She wins and they win. I, I believe they did refinance a few years back. They um, can't have they refinanced and kept, they can't have refinanced and had her as part of it unless she signed again. Right, I believe she did. All right, um, I need you know what I need. I need your girlfriend to call me because there's okay. details that she would know that that you're not privy to or that you only know part of the story. Because I've right. got a this sounds like um, what we call an onion where we got to peel away the layers and get down to it and see if there's a way I can get her removed legally from that as an obligation and the financial obligation that comes with it. Okay. Because that that would be, why would she have agreed to, to be part of a refi all these years later? I think, you know, it's a situation of family. And she didn't want to leave her parents hanging cold in the bag. Well, she sounds like she's got a really good heart, but I got to make sure she's not being taken advantage of. If you don't want to be part of peeling that onion, the best way to protect your relationship with each other and to protect your finances is don't commingle. Don't have joint checking account. Don't have any kind of joint loans. Don't have joint credit cards. Nothing like that. Okay. And treat um, your love for each other as one thing, but the financial arrangements as another thing that's completely separate would be the right way to handle it. Otherwise, if she's interested and willing to talk with me about it, I'd be happy to do that. Taylor's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Taylor. Hi there. How are you? Great. Thank you, Taylor. How can I serve you today? Well, my daughter is 15, and she um, has a little bit of money right now, only $250. But the other day she said, hey, how can I make this money work for me? How can I invest it? And I expect she'll have a summer job and be making a little bit more money this summer to add to it. So, and I really don't have any idea what she could or should do at this point. I did talk to her in, um, about, you know, like IRAs. I didn't think it, she would love that idea. Um, and she doesn't. And so I think... So why didn't she like an IRA? Because she wants to be able to yeah. get the money before she's, uh, yeah. in her mind, ancient. Ancient, exactly. Yeah. And so <laughs> this would be more like something, maybe a nest egg uh, that she could draw on to buy a condo down the road in her young adulthood or, you know, um, other types of things. But at least start okay. to, and then maybe when she's oh, older, my goodness. You know, shift it. Oh, my goodness. You just created the perfect case 
for her opening a Roth IRA anyway. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Okay. Okay. So let's say she is working, and you can only contribute to a Roth if you got earned income, you know, money from a job. Okay. If she puts money in a Roth IRA, then the money grows tax-free. The only money she has to leave in it is the earnings that she's had. But the money she contributes, she can pull out at any time for any reason. So when the time comes she wants to buy a home, Let's say over the years, um, the money earns a decent amount. She leaves that in, lets it continue to grow for retirement, but the money she contributed, she can pull out and use for the down payment on the house. Oh, I had no idea about that. So you're basically like the principal of what you put in, you can pull out, but what you earn off of that has to stay in the Roth. Right. So it becomes kind of like a method of forced savings for retirement, but also Uh a place you've stashed your cash tax-free that you can pull out when you need it for something like a down payment on a house. I mean, there's even provisions about down payments, but I want her to leave the earnings in. Okay. And And so she can do this with money that she either has, like she earns from, she earns money from her grades and other. No, types not of that choice. money. That money okay, can't go only, in. Only money okay. from her summer job. Work. Okay. Right. So what should she do with other money? She the other money she that. should put in a plain old simple savings account, probably. Okay. If it's money, right. you know, for walking around money or whatever, unless you fund all of that. If you fund all of that, she could open an investment account with um, Fidelity or Schwab that make it really easy for um, someone of her age to open an investment account and they don't charge fees for that. Oh, okay. Are you in Anchorage or are you somewhere else in Alaska? We're in Anchorage. All right, so you're going to have access to investment offices there. And so you you can put that money aside or she can put that money aside. And I'd like for her to go into the office meet with somebody, open her account, then it's really real to her. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Fabulous information. And, and how many hours a day are you seeing the sun right now? Um, we're seeing it about seven hours now. Oh, that's, that's not like the poor people in Fairbanks. I mean. No, no, poor people there. But it is about five below here and about <gasps> 40 below up there. Wow. Fairbanks. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, have a great day, the short day that it is. And I hope that she will open both of those accounts, one now for just putting that money aside and the other when she gets that summer job and open that Roth IRA. It'll all work for her for her present and her future. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sharon's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, Sharon. You have a question about your mortgage that is one I get very rarely, so I'm very curious. Hit me with it. Okay, so I read about um, a woman, she posted um, on social media that she had recast her mortgage and was able to pay it down quickly. And I just have never heard what recasting was. So I've done a lot of research online and I'm still feel like I don't quite understand everything about it. That's because um, nobody under- defines it exactly the same. But oh. the most common thing people think of when they talk about recasting is where let's say you owe hundred thousand dollars on a loan okay. and you owe the money for another 15 years but the payments are more than you really like per month that in a recast a mortgage company lets you pay them a lump sum let's say you come into money from whatever reason inheritance legal settlement whatever it is and so you got twenty five thousand dollars so you take that $25,000, give it to the mortgage company, and instead of shortening the term of your loan, if they provide one, they lower the monthly payment for the same remaining number of months and years. Okay, so it's not quite refinancing, though, right? No, it's not a refi unless the lender would treat it as one. And oh, okay. it's not a common thing. Hey, do you have a lump sum you've come into? I, I don't, actually. I mean, who knows what life will bring, okay. but I just, I didn't understand what the what it meant, and I guess maybe that's why I've had trouble figuring out, you know, the definition online, because it's like... There, <laughs> there, there, is, no, there is no precise definition of oh, it. It's well, a term I hear people throw out a, a, with a number of different interpretations. I don't know why. I guess because it's not a standardized kind of thing. Oh, it makes me feel better because I, you know, I'm somewhat embarrassed that I'm like, oh, I got to call Clark Howard because I don't understand anything I'm reading. So it's not something that is a standard thing that someone would do. And I just didn't know about it, didn't hear about it. It's just a special circumstance. Exactly. And generally, when somebody has a lump sum that they come into, I prefer for them to keep living their life as they are. And if they want to put it towards the mortgage, shorten the term of the mortgage by paying a big sum but everybody has their own decisions they make in life and even though i think that's what would be best for somebody to do they may have their own reasons in a uh, different scenario and why they would want to do what is one of the interpretations of recasting lowering the balance but keeping your term of loan the same at lower monthly payments best explanation i can give You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.